on today's Compassion Radio. They're beginning that cooperative attitude, which I think right there is one of the miracles of God's work in the church. It's a beautiful thing, for sure. Yeah, it is. Not just because you want people to be nice to each other, but because you know the kingdom is made up of people from many different backgrounds, denominations, and histories. Mm -hmm. But it's still God's kingdom. Mm Mm-hmm. Today on Compassion Radio, we're going to continue Bram's journey through Romania and talk about some of the things that he encountered while he was there a little bit more in depth. We're going to meet a few people that he met and just hear their stories and give some highlights about what's continuing to go on in the country of Romania. And Ukraine, Moldova, all around that region. Those countries are so close together, and the borders are running almost willy-nilly through neighborhoods. It's that abrupt that you suddenly find yourself in another country. Right. But you also go over vast distances to get to those border regions. We talked about the last time we discussed the beginning of this trip. We knew that we'd be going through all kinds of different cultures, even languages, fluidly. They would jump from one to the other. And Mm -hmm. discovering, of course, that people that live there have grown up for generations in those regions. They're multilingual. Mm -hmm. They're culturally adept because they live with people from different ethnic groups all the time. Right. And they do trade with, they do business with people on all sides of these borders. So last we talked about your journey, you were in the city of Yash, and we met a pastor there with the container buildings that was doing some great work to bring the people in and just welcome them from the Ukraine into Romania. Do you have any updates about that place? Well, for Yash, it's steaming right along. In fact, uh, Kenny Phillips, who was with our team as we went in there the first time, they had just started their work trying to figure out how do we plant ourselves here as a Christian witness and help the government. The pastor was good friends with the mayor of that little town, which was all maybe 15 or 20 minutes outside the city of Yash, which is a city of hundreds of thousands of people, like a college town that was within 15 minutes or so of the border with Moldova. And most of the area around that city and that part of Moldova in the central and northern part of the country is all farmlands, not huge industrial farms, but what you expect to see in old country farms, Mm -hmm. anywhere from five to 500 acres worth of pasture lands and and crops growing there. Mm -hmm. So what's Kenny doing there now? Kenny went back to try to troubleshoot things that Pastor Adi didn't know how to do. He wasn't an engineer. And Kenny is. He's engineering most of the infrastructure for the relief work that Conscious International has been doing in Central America and throughout the Caribbean. He invented a number of technologies for getting latrines safe and secure and buildable by local talent within mm-hmm. within the range of uh, 200 miles of the Port-au-Prince district in Haiti, mm-hmm. because there was nobody in civil engineering that could figure out how to make a sewers safe or bring fresh water in without worrying about contaminating it. Mm-hmm. And he found a way to do it with the minimal resources, but make a, a strong integrated septic system with the latrine so that you could have public restroom facilities that didn't stink and didn't leak yeah. and all that kind of stuff and were safe enough and deep enough that they could be serviceable for many, many years to come. Oh, He's been installing those all over Haiti for the past few years, in between all his other work in Florida as a contractor and developer. So now he's back for another month right now to be with Pastor Adi, who we met there in Yash. Mm, sounds and, like he's got the expertise that they desperately need well, there. Yeah, well, he could be having to put in things like that, because there's not a lot of materials available in their markets right now either, because everybody's on a war footing. Sure. Nobody's expecting to go to war, but because everything has to be locked down, and people have to be ready at a moment's notice to defend their territories if 
necessary. And so much of the material, like go to Home Depot kind of warehouse buildings there throughout these countries, they're being emptied by people just trying to do projects locally. And all the churches are buying up all the material they can get in order to provide housing and stuff Mm -hmm. for all the hundreds of thousands of people that are still pouring through Mm -hmm. Romania, Moldova. Well, it'll be great to get some updates from Kenny along the oh, way yeah. when we have In fact, uh, just this morning, I was looking for some contact information for a couple of our other cities we visited, and within about five minutes, he had an answer back for me for those names. In fact, we'll talk about one of those later in this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kenny is a, a man on the spot. That's great. And he's brought some other volunteers with him for this trip as well. He'll be there for about a month helping mm-hmm. Pastor Adi and his people figure out what kind of things do we need to build that need to be permanent in order to help improve the cross-border traffic there mm-hmm. on behalf of the church and the government locally there to do something that everybody needs with mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people overwhelming small bathrooms and stuff they got to figure out something right and then for their welcome center you know about a mile or so back from the border they installed what would be considered a temporary structure they built a kind of compound on a flat piece of ground which had been used as a gravel yard yeah. before they leveled that all out and put these construction containers on there so they have offices things that can be heated and cooled. It's coming up now on a season where it'll be flashing back and forth between mm-hmm. cold and hot. That part of Romania is enough continental that when it finally kicks into late spring, summer, it's going to be hot. Yeah. So they have to get the air conditioning all in place. They've brought the uh, electricity in and they brought the uh, communications lines and they're getting all that ready so they can keep welcoming people, keep taking care of them, giving them the information that they need and then coordinate them to get out to transportation to go to their own embassies farther in country or to move on to other countries like Poland or Slovakia or Hungary. Even further into the West. So that's what he's going to be busy doing for the next month. There's so many things to think about that many of us, lay people, me included, just don't think about when you have to settle hundreds of thousands of people in a new place, when you have to welcome them in and get them moving yeah, through. Settling's probably not the right word because they're all, they all think they're in transition shortly. Absolutely. Now, there may be, after this next wave of the war, depending on how many new people are displaced, to have to have refugee camps mm-hmm. within these countries like Romania and Poland. Because the ability for the civilian population to absorb as many people as are pouring out of the country right now, to give them a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the quote-unquote refugee industry knows that when people are displaced like this, their chances of actually getting home within the same calendar year or even within two to five years right. is very minimal. Very small, yeah. Unlikely that any of these people will be able to go back to their hometowns in that time frame. Well, most of their hometowns are completely destroyed. Or in the process of being obliterated right now. There are millions of people still in the Donbass region, which includes that district of Luhansk and Donetsk in the very far east of the country, which you'll read in the news right now. They're losing contact with these villages as the Russians finally wipe out what defenders remained in those cities. It's going to be a very, very ugly time, and they're not going to know how bad it was until those who straggle out from those particular battles make it to relative safety in central parts of Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and they'll have to walk. There's, There's nothing left for transportation. The Russians have taken out most of the transportation lines. Mm, such devastation. Which means those refugees will be on their way towards Moldova and Romania mm. and Poland within the next two to maybe 10 weeks. Mm. We just need to remember to keep praying for these dear people that are on yes. the move and in such transition and turmoil and just traumatized by this whole event. A number of the people that we talked to about the people that are coming out of the Donbass right now have reminded us, you know, it's not as simple as the news portrays it. There's Mm -hmm. not just a separatist area that all wants to be part of Russia. 
and people who are loyal to Ukraine, they're being chased out to other districts. It's not that clear. In fact, they know that the people of Luhansk and Donetsk, which are counties, basically, as large as small states in the United States, that were created by industrialists from the West back in the early 1800s. So since Mm -hmm. the 19th century, these places were basically enclaves of industry. Industrials came over to start coal mines and steel factories, and that's been their identity for the past 200 years, has been as a kind of a heartland of industry, Mm -hmm. like Pennsylvania and Ohio would have been for America back in the same period of their history. Our nation, we consider them Rust Belt states now, but industry and automotive and everything else that started for us began in similar kinds of territories for those folks between Russia and Ukraine. And they're very, very independent. They're kind of like Montana meets West Virginia, those kind of people. If you want to be independent, you want to be away from the big cities, you would move to the Donbass. It's been like that for 100 years. So they are very mixed as far as their attitudes towards, you want to be part of something bigger? No, we just want to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. And most of them, in fact, more than 50 or 60% of people that live in those areas of Ukraine don't sense themselves as being anything more than being themselves. They're okay with being with a government that does not destroy them. The majority of them know that Russia is not being kind to them right now, but they don't necessarily trust that Ukraine is going to be kind to them when it's all over either. The motives are very mixed for them. and They feel very, very cornered. Mm -hmm. Many of them don't necessarily trust that Ukraine or the Western countries will be kind to them if they leave now. So even though they feel like they're caught in the middle, which they are, they don't necessarily know which way to go. Mm, that's a difficult position for them to be in, for sure. So even praying for the reception that these people would have when they finally have to leave the war zone, that they would not be treated poorly. We need to pray for that, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, honey, let's move on from Yash now. And you took a trip from Yash to a city called Suchava. Mm-hmm. And you met a gentleman there who is the director of the Brethren Church and a Christian school there. Yeah. And that's in the northern part of the country. And there were some Conscience International folks there as well that you met with. Tell us about that encounter with the gentleman that you met. Pastor Nelu Brodan is an interesting guy. He's very much a pastor and a communicator, like you would expect in any church in America to sit down and have the greeting, pass the coffee, tell the stories about how the church started, the people that work for him. And he's a kind of pastor that speaks very highly of his people all the time. Mm. He's the kind of pastor you'd want to right. be in your church, <laughs> finding the goodness in your people and praising it to you. And he wasn't puffing people up. He's not this kind of guy that seems like he's got to inflate the numbers or make it look like he's better than he is. He just gets down right to brass tacks saying, this is what we prayed for, this is what God did, and this is what God's people are doing. Mm. And he speaks well of the other organizations, the other denominations that are based there in that part of the county of northern Romania. So Sushava is a large crossroads town. It's got two or three rivers that kind of merge together in there and pull their way into Ukraine. Everything about the topography is a collection of hills kind of rolling into lowlands where there's lots and lots of agriculture. And where the roads come out of Ukraine, where the roads come up from Cluj Depoca in the central part of Romania, up a long valley toward that collection point. And then from the south and from the east, coming in from Moldova and Yash and even Bucharest, almost due south of there, it is a crossroads of many peoples. Mm. And it's not a huge city, but it's got an interesting downtown and history, and probably was a backwaters for a long time, and suddenly now it's thrown again into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. What kind of work are they doing there with the refugees coming through? They were high school. Speed. I mean, I was kind of surprised that this quaint town would have such a rapid movement of refugees. Crossroads, rivers, roads come through there from all different directions. 
We didn't have a lot of time to spend in the city itself because most of the action for the refugees, which of course was our first priority, was happening up north of there in Surrett. Mm -hmm. But all of the Christian communities that were taking responsibility for what was happening up there at the border were all based there in Suchava. Okay. Medieval-looking little town with some maybe imperialist and later communist constructions around it, but it was mostly a agriculture and trading town. And most of the um, denominations that had representation throughout those districts, they were all dividing up different responsibilities because they all had different strengths. They knew that. So the Pentecostals had bought a building downtown, and so had the Brethren, which is where Nelu Prodon, our contact there, was working as a pastor, as a headmaster of the school, Mm -hmm. which was a very large Christian school there in the town. Each of them was saying, what can we do to help or to complement each other? They were simply saying, we are friendly enough. And after all those years of being separated for 100 years of communist rule under the Soviets and under Ceausescu, they had been forced away from each other. Right. And we talked about that, I think, a couple of years ago, about how isolated each of the church groups, denominations, and independent churches were from each other because they'd been forced to by the government. In Mm -hmm. fact, they would leave you alone if you left everyone else alone. Right. If you dared to step out of your church and go down the street and offer coffee or friendship to another church of another denomination, you could spend 10 years in prison Mm -hmm. because the governments knew that when Christians come together, they do things. And they become dangerous to totalitarian states. People begin to trust them Mm -hmm. more than depending upon the government. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw, to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. And you can text Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445 to make a gift right now through your phone. And make sure to let your friends know about that option, too. Thank you, friends, for letting God expand your faith through real activist giving today. And now, back to our discussion. The governments knew that when Christians come together, they do things. And they become dangerous to totalitarian states. People begin to trust them Mm -hmm. more than depending upon the government. And that was a living reality even today for many, many churches across Ukraine, Romania, many of the other satellite countries in the Eastern Bloc. So those countries had just begun already to learn that, you know what, we don't need to be afraid anymore of actually becoming friends with the reproachment, the entree into each other's life their worship, their culture, Mm -hmm. and become friends again and not be so afraid. 
They had begun that work because of how much freedom had flowed into the country, but it was a very hard thing to change in one generation. Right. But these pastors were doing it. They knew they couldn't create something from the ground up, but they knew that they could find some way to be helpful to each other and to God's purpose and build a kingdom. So what kind of things were they doing? Well, people like the Brethren were very strong in education. They had this great school going. They were busy getting volunteers through the families. The kids that were attending there, the families that wanted them to be there, were mostly people that were friendly to their denomination, but weren't necessarily part of the churches, like many Christian schools are here in America. Because the school is strong, many Christian families would want their kids to go there. They reached out to those families of their own students and said, what can we do together to reach these people? They took food and things up to people that were volunteering on the borders. The government was doing a pretty good job of taking care of refugees, getting them forwarded onto relief centers farther in-country or getting them to a transportation center. But nobody was figuring out how do you take care of them right now while we're mm, waiting for that to happen. The immediate needs. So they were doing that. They were going north and helping. Now, the Pentecostals, the Baptists, the Brethrens, and there are other denominations as well, along with the Orthodox and Catholics, agreeing that if we saw an opportunity, we would let each other know that this is what God's put on our plate. Can you help us with that? Or is there something else that you need help with that we can loan people to you? Or are there things that we don't know? that are missing here, that are holes here. Let's let God tell us what we need to be involved with. They started talking more. Hmm. And they're beginning that cooperative attitude, which I think right there is one of the miracles of God's work in the church. It's a beautiful thing, for sure. Yeah, it is. Not just because you want people to be nice to each other, but because you know the kingdom is made up of people from many different backgrounds, denominations, and histories. Mm-hmm. But it's still God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. So the brethren were very strong in family-oriented things and getting students and their families involved with doing practical things, raising money for, doing clothing drives, sending food. But because the brethren also had a very large communications network and were used to driving long distances to be with their other congregations, they had fewer churches over a bigger distance. They had a good transportation network. They had lots of vans available to them. So other groups that wanted to get material into Ukraine were leaning on the brethren to get that material across the border. So they had the best communication network and people to take in the relief and then get it transferred on farther into Ukraine, Mm -hmm. where it was needed, where people were still in transit. So that's what they focused on. That's something we don't think about, I think, that there are people that are in transit within Ukraine's borders still Mm -hmm. that need assistance as they're in transition. Like an underground railroad. Yeah. They need to be reached out to while they're still in country and helped with supplies or transportation needs or medical help or whatever. They just, they still need that as they're traveling. In fact, probably even more so as they're traveling, even in Ukraine, trying to get out of Ukraine as they do when they get out. They were already seeing a number of people that were showing up more and more fatigued, more and more injured, more and more malnourished. The longer they had to stay in the war zones, the less energy they had to travel, the more at risk they were. Mm -hmm. So by the time they were getting to the western end of the country, people were starting to drop. And diseases were starting to creep in or infectious diseases. They were worried at that time what was going to happen with COVID again, because they knew that other strains were coming up. And we talked about that two weeks ago, that I ended up getting COVID, the latest round of it, the Omicron B virus, probably, that I ended up coming back with, no matter how hard we tried to avoid it. There were some places that we just could not not breathe the same air. Sure. And sure enough, I tested positive when I got home. But many of those people that are in much less physical condition than the relief workers that were serving them are coming down with it. 
Well, we have to think about, too, what the weather is like there. It yeah. is starting, like you said earlier, to get warmer, colder, back and forth, back and forth. Season, yeah. And so now it's going to be really sloppy and muddy. There's going to be all kinds of colds and flus that yeah. get out of hand and sinus well, infections well, and all those kind of things. Well, starting to be uh, like springtime yeah. on the calendar. And yet it was still frozen where we were because mm-hmm. we're at higher altitude. Yeah. We weren't all that farther north distance-wise, maybe a couple hundred miles. But that was enough, plus the altitude gain. That it went from early spring with buds coming out around southern Romania to being very frigid pine country and snow still on the ground solid where we were up there. We mentioned earlier that there is a staff member, a team member on the ground in Suchava with Conscience International. What historically has their work been like in that area? Well, it's not a long-term one. We actually redeployed one of the team members that is kind of what they call a floater. Okay. He is right now helping streamline logistics. So he's actually going in and out of Ukraine, helping them to figure out how to get more material into vans, how to use less fuel, how to coordinate drops, helping that network. All the things that the people that already are doing the grunt work of just getting things loaded and driven, they're full already. They don't need to be trying to work all the paperwork. Do we have all the visas and carnets written and stuff so the governments can see what's coming in and going out mm-hmm. and not get hung up at borders? They don't have energy or time for that. Yeah. So he's coming in to help with that and also recruiting more people to be part of their efforts. So he's helping mm-hmm. their brethren find other friends inside Ukraine to build their network of getting material into the country. What a great work, though. That's yeah. something that is so necessary. But sometimes, like you said, you just don't have the bandwidth for it because there's so many other things that need to get done. But to have that one central yeah. person that can kind of pull all of that together and coordinate it for you, give you a laundry list of the things that need to be taken care of, right. is such a relief. I'm grateful that there's someone doing that. In true Conscious International form, these people are very entrepreneurial. Right. They're not mavericks in that they can't work with other people. They very much are people people. It sounds to me like they're wanting to bring people together in a way that is organized and effective. Or if they've never worked together before, is show there are ways to do this. Absolutely. They're bridge builders. Yeah. The identity is important to keep private right now, so we won't talk about who that particular person is. They're going so many times across the border. But they are there to serve the church, to serve the people, Mm. and to give them new ways of doing the work they do, like we've been doing through our partners in Conscious International in other parts of the world, like Iraq and Syria Mm -hmm. and the Middle East and Central America, and all the other stories you've heard from us over the past two or three years, specifically about the work that we've been able to see ourselves, the people we've been able to meet ourselves, and the work we've been able to do with them while we're there. They're doing this nonstop. Yeah. Jim Jennings, the director of Conscious International, knows that people burn out quick. They're very bright flames. So if they don't have a home base there to live in to be recovering, he knows he can't deploy them endlessly. So he sends them for as long as he can get them away from their other work as developers or project engineers or construction specialists. He sends them there in probably about three weeks to maybe six total. They can give their utmost every day, every hour of the day Mm -hmm. to help. Then he gets them out of there so they can finally rest and get back to earning a living because they're mostly just volunteers. Their needs or their transportation costs are covered, but nothing else. They are there to be even lower on the totem pole than like some Peace Corps workers would be. Mm. Not even a stipend sometimes, but they give from their hearts. And that's the kind of people that Jim has leaned on all these years. Which means that the dollars go much farther, of course, when we do projects because they're going more and more to the people on the ground that need it. Like we did when we were in Galatz. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of needs they had were physical ones. They need material. They need machines. They need microwave ovens like we bought last time we were mm-hmm. down there. 
That's the kind of work that Conscious International and now Compassion Radio wants to do more directly. How do we do stuff that's going to be applicable and targeted and time-limited so we're not just creating a bureaucracy somewhere or an office? We're helping solve a problem now. Mm -hmm. And that's what was happening there in Suchava, where this ministry, the Brethren Church, is based which is reaching far into Ukraine right now, providing for the needs of those who are getting out. There's no doubt that trying times bring out the best and the worst in mankind. I pray that God will bring out the very best of Him in you today. Friends, as I mentioned at the top of the program, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw, to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw a refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. The toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can mail Compassion Radio at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And we're online 24-7 at CompassionRadio.com. Don't wait, friends. Join us online to find out how you can be involved with this unique and timely ministry. And you can text Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445 to make a gift right now through your phone. And make sure to let your friends know about that option, too. Thank you, friends, for letting God expand your faith through real activist giving today. If you missed anything on today's program, of course, the podcast is always available online at CompassionRadio.com. So check that out, too. I'm Bram Floria. Thanks so much, and we'll see you tomorrow.